This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. Now, for those who are hoping for a reckoning of the 2020 Sheraton move, the results of GE15 were, to put it mildly, quite the letdown. The will of Malaysians in GE14 was thwarted by the sudden change in government, and there were hopes that the 2018 mandate could be restored in these elections. But the opposite played out. The results indicated that a broad segment of society had cooled with Pakatan Harapan and opted for the Sheraton Move parties, with the exception of Barca National, of course. Now, Nathaniel Tan, strategic communications consultant and coordinator for Project Bangsa Malaysia, penned an op-ed for Malaysia Kini, counselling readers to look beyond the current doom and and gloom. He joins me on the show today. Nat, welcome to Pressing Matters. Good morning, Shaz. Thanks. Happy to be here. Now, from your perspectives, what were the expectations versus the reality of GE15? I'm not so much talking about what the pundits were predicting, but more about the vibe that you observed within circles of your engagement. And from the outset, I guess it should be made clear that uh, we are speaking from our vantage point as urban Klang Valley residents and the life experiences that come with it. Thanks very much, Shaz. I mean, yeah, there was obviously a little bit of um, you know, excitement, especially in the last few days, right? You know, thinking, oh, maybe it's this time, maybe it's this time. But I think uh, in elections generally, I think especially the last four elections, Malaysians like to confound expectations, uh, you know? I, I think in 2008, it was such a big surprise that it was, they called it a political tsunami, right? And that was when Selangor and Penang went yes. to the opposition parties. Yeah. You know, first time, right? So in 2013, everyone was, Itni Kalila! But it was not Nikali. Belum lagi lah. Yeah, belum lagi lah. Right? And um, this, that was probably the most similar to this vibe. And in 2018, I don't think pe- many people expected uh, Pakatan Harapan government, uh, but there you have it. And this uh, and this round, of course, many people didn't expect PAS to do so well, and, but there you have it. All right. So mm-hmm. surprises are part and parcel of the elections. We, we tend to forget that every election, but yeah. that is what happens. Yeah. Now, in your... you, you, you mentioned uh, sorry that you know a lot of people feel let down, you know. And mm. yes, there's definitely you know talking about my circles, a lot of people who are feeling disappointed, you know, very sad. You know, there's also a lot of anxiety and fear. And, I can empathize with that now, you know, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> it is a it's a different it's a different outcome than what many were hoping for. Yes. Um in your op-ed, you put forth an interesting thought exercise asking those who fear pass to put themselves in the shoes of those who fear DAP. So you sort of drew parallels uh, between these two groups uh comparing the results of GE15 with GE14. How are they similar? All right. So let's let's do this, all right? Let, let's uh let's imagine ourselves at a drama by you know, could be PAS, could be AMNO, Bersatu. They are largely the same, right? Okay, so and then you got this firebrand up there talking, right? And he's and, and he's, he's saying these things. You know, he's like, you know, uh, the Chinese are going to control the economy, manipulate it so only they can profit. You know, they're going to wipe out all the Jawi from the street signs, force you to learn Mandarin. You know, um, and um, um, this is a favorite, right? And in Penang, they're going to shut down the Azan. There'll be no more Azan in Penang. So now, you know, I think uh, I'm a little bit you know, pretty similar to most, I imagine, BFM readers, right? We are urban, English-speaking, middle-class, right? And, you know, you listen to all these things, right? What, what, what are you thinking? You're, th- you know, you're probably thinking, that is such a load of nonsense. What, on, what, what crazy talk is this? I'm a Chinese person, you know, and I don't want any of those things, right? And probably 98% of other Chinese are just like me, you know, or, or you know, normalists, right? It, it, this is, that's just crazy talk. He's talking complete nonsense, right? Okay, so now let's let's let's, uh, let's let's imagine ourselves that maybe say a DAP drama, right? Okay, and then the guy is up there talking about you know if you let these guys in, you know that's you'll have no more pork, no more casino, no more uh, alcohol, right? Everyone will have to wear two dog and all this kind of thing. Now you know, so I'm just saying maybe maybe you know there's a whole bunch of you know Malays or passports out there thinking like 
what nonsense is this guy talking? This is crazy talk. I don't want that. That's not what I'm looking for. You know, it's hard to believe, right? You know, uh, it's hard to imagine. But I think I think that's that's where that's where we. Are. I mean, democracy all over the world. You know, it's really now today about extreme polarization. That's the name of the game, right? You know, and it's really a crisis of imagination. You can't imagine. You know, say again, a, a typical you know BFM listener, maybe you can't imagine who would vote out Nurul Isa. You just can't. You like, I cannot brain that, right? <laughs> but you know, I, th- I think you know, and, and you think that there's something wrong with the voters there. Mm. My point is that you know, there's really nothing wrong with the voters there. They just chose what they prefer. And, and if you can't, and if we can't brain what they're <laughs> thinking, it's not their problem. It's our problem. You know, it's that we, we we've lost the ability, or the, the gap is so wide. Polarization is so bad that we cannot literally cannot imagine what it's like to be, you know, on the other side of the fence. So I think that's important. How do you think we got to this point, Nat, where we are unable to, I guess, like you said, this crisis of imagination, right? We can't put ourselves in in the shoes of of the other side or we just have a really hard time believing that somebody could think differently from how we do. Uh, where did, how did we get to this point? Yeah, I think this is this is not a natural or, you know, just happened by itself kind of thing. This is the result of very purposeful engineering. Again, it's happening all over the world. You know, America, you have the Democrats, Republicans, you know, in the UK, it's like Brexit and all this kind of stuff, right? But, but basically, in Malaysia in particular, we've had decades of very purposeful um, racial instigation. You know, uh, you know when, you ha- when your politics is dominated by race-based politics, eventually everything in your public discourse you know, becomes uh, tinged with a racial you know, a spin on it, right? Everything mm. is seen through a racial lens. So we, we, we've been inculcated generations now, right? To believe that, you know, this is a, some sort of zero-sum game. It's Malays again, Chinese, West Malaysia, East Malaysia, whatever. You know, it's a dilaga-lagakan, you know, we are, we are instigated against one another. So it's very, it's very purposeful, right? And, and, and to, it, it needs undoing. And it's uh, difficult to undo within the current context. Right. So it is down to sort of structural, systematic. Absolutely. Um, it, it, it's it's not down to any one figure per se, but I suppose no, just not. looking overall at the jigsaw puzzle and how it fits together. It's a, it's a historical thing, you know. It's, mm. it's, it's a it's a very it's much very much a product. You know, it's it's actually you know when the colonists came to Malaysia, right? And the British, you know, they bring in the the Chinese, the Indians, right? And they sit around, they look and say, "Oh, look at this Malay, this Chinese, these Indians. If they ever gang up on me, I'm in deep trouble." 60, 70 years later, you know, you're the government, you're thinking, oh, look at this Malay, Chinese, Indians. If they gang up on me, I'm in trouble. And you know, of course, East Malaysia as well. Right? So it's, it's the same. It's a, it's a very classic divide and rule. Yeah. So let's, um, I'm looking at Sheraton Move, right? And, and how it happened. I mean, there was the segment that was euphoric that we saw a change in government. But mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, um, the people who supported Pakatan Harapan had a change of heart uh, and they decided that um, they wanted to wrest back control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think based on what we were, what your article uh, laid out also, that could have been the result of fear towards, uh, I guess, a rise in Chinese political power, for example. I think mm-hmm. the DAP threat has been used by parties mm-hmm. like BAS to, to really, and even UMNO, to, to really kind of build um, support for themselves. So, I mean, with that example in mind, and now that these GE15 um, results have kind of confirmed Sheraton move or confirmed support for Sheraton move, I, would, I don't know, what do you think? Do you think our politics is doomed to kind of go back and forth um, on that front rather than, you know, be it a decision of people at the ballot box? I think I think you need to have a two-tier analysis here, right? One is like what the politicians want and do, and second is how they justify it. Right? I, I think I think Sheraton move has nothing to do with public sentiment. It's like oh, we, you know, it's a big segment of the public saying we want a more Malay government. 
That's not a factor at all. Sheriff the move instigated by people who want power, lah. And it's actually masterminded by Mahathir himself, who didn't want Anwar and didn't like DAP, lah. To be honest, I mean that that's it's always his plan. But he, you know, thought he played poker, he bluffed, and he thought he was having everything, and suddenly end up engineering a coup against himself, lah. Brilliantly, <laughs> you know. But um, I, I think the you know, and and I think this will continue, right? This backstabbing, the way our system, you know, Westminster system, in theory, in theory, you can have one prime minister in the morning, another after lunch, and another after dinner. I mean, <laughs> then it's <laughs> There is, you know, there is no, there's no legal safeguard against that that, that that thing. So these people will keep backstabbing each other, keep changing these certain things. Are, 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 there's, there is no incentive for it to stop, now, right? But I think what's more interesting is looking at the electoral, um, electoral landscape, now, right? And something I wrote, I think back in 2020 or 2021, called the DAP paradox, right? And, and so again, we, we, you talk about Sheraton, we look at it in historical context, right? 2008, they formed Pakatan right yet. It's always a PKR plus DAP first, and then the third person seems to be a revolving door, right? So it starts with PASS in That's 2008, right? right? They with, yeah, okay. And then um, they lose the 2013 elections, and when people lose, all the coalitions start to shake. Like the marriage of convenience doesn't doesn't stand the test of <laughs> the test of time and all that, right? So in the 2014 Kajang move, you know, engineered by the same people running PKR now, uh, but a big fight and pass leaves, right? And wait after they leave, then they say, oh, this is because of DAP. This is because of DAP. Same thing, 2018. Then Persatu is the one who fills in the spot. So ah, okay, now we are with PKR and DAP. They win the elections, and then later they they fight. They want to wrest control as power. They leave Pakatan Harapan and they say, oh, this is because of DAP. Because of DAP. <laughs> It's an interesting, you know. So this mm-hmm. DAP factor is interesting because. Of course, you look at DAP. DAP is basically this unchallenged bastion, fortress of basically non-Malay Chinese political power. Lah. You compare that to the Malay political landscape, right? Which is used to be two parties, then three parties. Is it four parties now, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, you know, so so no matter what DAP says, right? When you have that, you know, that, that kind of power, it's um, it's scary. Lah. It's easy to paint them as a boogeyman, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because DAP, no matter what, when you stand on top of this building here in Taman, then you look all around this is all Harapan areas right? everywhere and DAP will always have a, a bank of seats 40 it's, it's guaranteed right but what's the point of having that many seats you know their the, the biggest asset becomes their biggest liability any coalition in which they are part you know say oh these people are DAP these people are Chinese coming after you and you know they can they can, they can feel as many Malay candidates as they want they can say all the right things you know but if the, if, if someone who's you know of a past Pentrama or Ustad is telling you something who's more like you you're more likely to believe their version of the story like, facts don't matter so you don't think that DAP can re-engineer themselves to be more of a multi-racial pop party That think, can be accepted more multiracially. I think they definitely try, they, you know, and a lot of them are very sincere in their efforts, right? But you know, it, it's kind of the, the center of gravity, right? You're really, you're really swimming upstream there, you know. And no matter what you do, I mean, either that or you, if you go too far, you risk losing your Chinese base as well. But you know, like I said, this this is a feature of our our politics, right? It's all about, you know, when you play the race card and all this kind of thing. This is a, this is very potent, this tribalist, primal kind of thing that you you know hear fear mongering, fear of the other, right? Um, but it's like the instant noodles of politics. Uh. It's cheap, it's easy to produce, and people love it. They lap it up, right? And they lap it up. So, so with, with, with this kind of... And, and every party uses it because you know, it's like an arms race. If I don't use it, they're going to use it. And it's very effective. But you become trapped in this culture, trapped in this... You know, you, when you've been in there too long, you can't, you can't move away from it because then you lose your base. Or it's just too... You know, you're too old, too set in your ways. Path dependency. Yeah. I'm speaking to Nathaniel Tan, Strategic Communications Consultant and the Coordinator for Project Bangsa Malaysia on reactions on reactions to GE15. And um, 
we're coming up to reasons to keep faith in democracy. We're going to come back after a few quick messages, including this one. The past two years have seen many SMEs affected badly by the various lockdowns and generally depressed economic sentiment. Fortunately, with the assistance of various organizations, banks and loyal consumers, many small businesses pulled through and now with an economy opening once again, they can all breathe a sigh of relief. Find out how Ambank has been helping SMEs recover. Tune in tomorrow at 7.45am to a special conversation with Christopher Yap, Managing Director of Business, Banking and Bank Group. BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters. I'm Shazana Mukhtar and in studio with me is Nathaniel Tan, Strategic Communications Consultant and Coordinator for Project Bangsa Malaysia. We're reflecting on reactions to GE15 and why it's important to stay politically engaged in the face of what looks like a dead end. Now, Nat, there was a lot made about UD18 and the entry of over a million young voters aged between 18 to 21. What do the GE15 results reveal about the young Malaysian voter in your view? Do you think that um, popular perceptions of the youth are misleading or incorrect in some way? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think before before the election, right, a lot of people were very excited. Yeah, oh, youth vote, youth vote, you know, give power to the youth. And then when the youth didn't vote the way they want, you're like, mm, this youth, right? Mm, pakai, like, and why they, you know, we have to, you know, then the very popular things are, oh, we have to educate them, we have to educate the youth, you know? You know, I have very uh, little bit uh, different ideas about the idea of voter education. Voter education to me is like, yeah, you have to teach them how to go in the place, what to panka, what to wear. There was a lot of that. Yeah, that's fair enough. But if if your idea of voter education is, oh, you have to, they're not educated enough to recognize corruption. They're not educated enough to make the right choices. I think this is not the right way to, (laughs) this is, this is, you know, if, if, if youth are not voting the way you want them, they are not the ones that need education. You are the one that needs education. Right? You need the one you need to learn how to, you know, how to... If it's like, oh, we lost the TikTok battle, all oh, these kids, you know, they only watch K-drama, TikTok, you know. So, I mean, uh, that's, 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 that's democracy, right? It's your job to persuade them and your job to, you know, uh, to, to, to speak in a language that they understand. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe it's possible that, you know, um, for them, maybe they didn't like Amno too old school, right? They didn't like Harpan, maybe too much DAP, right? <laughs> uh, so they just chose the least bad third option, uh, you know? Maybe some didn't even really know about what Prekata National, but they don't, it doesn't matter to them, right? And they see it's a nice brand and they see it better, turns up more on their social media feeds, you know? Um, so, not just youth, uh, but voters in general. Mm. I think a lot don't feel like they are great choices. We're voting for the least bad option. Is that really where we want to be? You know, is that is that is that good enough for us? We're always content to just okay lah. Better than that guy. I vote for this guy. You know, mm. so yeah. So they're not voting out of any sense of animosity or or um or malintention per se. You, based on how you see it, they're just really voting for the one that they feel is the least detrimental for them. I wouldn't presume to know what youth are voting for or why youth are voting or, or voters in general. And I I don't think that's uh, you need a lot of data and studies to that. And but I think. I think um, I think I can say that you know, youth confounded a lot of expectations, uh, you know, or didn't vote the way that a lot of people wanted them to vote. And I think we need to respect that, all right, and 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 uh, use that as an opportunity to rethink our strategy uh, and try and understand what is it that we are quote unquote trying to sell, you know, to to, to these to these youth. Yeah. So let's look at Pakatan Harapan then. You know, they we have the elections of GE15 at the moment. What do you think they need to take away from these elections in terms of moving forward? I mean, it, hopefully elections will elections will continue to be the main yeah. feature of our democracy, but. Uh, what do they need to do, I guess, in order to win over those that they lost this time around? Thanks very much. You know, I think I think again, you know, it comes back to uh, the DAP paradox, right? Uh, you know, it's, it, again, it's not their fault, or it's not it's not you know it's not because they are bad people or anything like that, but it's the it's the perception and the electoral math, right? And and, and how we 
you know, for them to try and change the perception, I think is very challenging, right? There'll always be this boogeyman, especially when, you know, in uh, 2018 and uh, 2022, they're about half the seats of Pakatan Harapan. You know, and that's got to give, I mean, and then that, that's what, that's what, you know, the Amno Bersatu past people will tell, look at this, you know, this is a Chinese-controlled coalition, you know, and it's, and you can make all your arguments, you can make all the, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't really work. So you really have to think a little bit carefully about whether this form, I, there is a, there's argument to say that PH, DAP has gone as far as it can go. You know, they can have 40, 50, DAP can have 40, 50 seats. But what's the point? You know, what, what use is those seats? You know, I, I told them that there are three things. You know, you, you can only be two of the three. You can be uh, Chinese-led, you can be um, a, have a lot of seats in parliament, and you can be a relevant and meaningful voice in, uh, in Malaysian politics. You can only be two of the three. You cannot be all three at the same time. It just doesn't work, you know. So I, I think, I think, and you know, I mean, there's this perception that they're arrogant and things like that, you know. I mean, you have, and it's not just DAP, you know, like on the PKR side, just a few days before the election, um, the MACC investigated invoke, right? Uh, and then Rafizi Ramli come out and say like, oh, today I'll see you in court, tomorrow we'll win the elections and we'll come looking for you, Azam Baki. I mean, I'm not here to comment on the guilt or innocence of Azam or Rizzi. I don't know, you know, but when you, that kind of, that kind of attitude, right? The civil servants, when, when they see like, whoa, it's very bullying, arrogant, like, you know, it's a, you know, it's a Malay heartland, right? The civil servants. Yeah, so, right. yeah, they have to really rethink a lot of these things, I think. Okay, so that retributive rhetoric uh, yeah. probably didn't help them. In Antagonistic, the aggressive, you know. Yeah, that's... Some would argue that why is it that this, why is it Pakatan Harapan that has to put on that pleasant face, you know, that has to be meek or, or a little bit more submissive oh. to be acceptable? I, I guess, how would you argue against I, that? I, I wouldn't, I would never ask anybody to be meek or submissive, right? Um, but, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm only saying this to... I mean, I would, I, this is what I would tell PH people. It's not like, oh, they are the only ones who have to, right? And everyone, it, like, people use the what about, what about arguments, arguments right? So, like, oh, if, when PH does something bad, if Rafizi is bad, I say something bad to Rafizi, there's like, oh, BN is worse. BN is worse, so what? I mean, this <laughs> is a race to the bottom, two wrongs make a right kind of thing, right? I mean, a PH doesn't have to do anything that they don't want to. Mm. If you don't want to, you want to meet, do the same formula, do the same approach, by all means, you will most probably get the same results. Uh. How, I mean, really, we've come so many times. Almost, it's like, you know, just just at the right at the cusp, but cannot cross the line. How many times again and again you want to have the same problem? And so it's not that they have to and others don't have to change, but if you want to win, that's probably what I would be thinking about. Now. All right. I want to come back to what you said earlier about just how um, fragmented and polarized our society is um, on race and uh, religious lines. And this is due to a historical context, right? And due to systemic issues. So, I mean, and we see that there's a clear difference in political realities between east and the west coast of Peninsula Malaysia at least. We're looking at mm. Peninsula Malaysia mostly. Mm. So how do we bridge that ethno-religious divide? Especially if uh, we can't really rely on the government to make the policies needed um, for a harmonious multiracial society. Exactly. You know, this is sort of our obsession uh, in this Project Bangsa Malaysia thing, right? This is a, a topic very, very close to my heart. We've worked on for a long time, right? Uh, not only can we not rely on the government, you know, we can expect the, the, the people who run the government to be um, actively trying to create a, the opposite mm. <laughs> of harmony because it's in their political interest to do so. That's their, their DNA and makeup, right? But the, the, the short answer is basically we have to do it ourselves, right? We Malaysia democracy in general, right? We have this uh, habit of like relying on politicians or we have to wait for the politicians to solve it. Politicians have to mm. do it. This is a terrible assumption, right? We have to, I mean, I think what I'm interested in doing is like, hey, we don't have to wait for them. We can build the Malaysia we want to build. You know, we can build it in civil society space. We don't have to be in government. We, you know, it's not easy work. You know, it's not, it's very, very difficult. Lots of challenges, but I, I'm, dead certain we can do it on our own. We, you know, we, we build the bonds that we want, be the change that you want to see. 
Can yeah. you give me an example of that? What's a concrete example of, of something of like that in action as opposed to just, yeah. I suppose, in rhetoric or So in I theory? work a lot in a civil society space, right? You know, and again, I'm, I'm English speaking, Chinese, right? You know, so, uh, but I, I try to look, and, and the civil society space also fragmented among the same lines. You know, a lot of people doing great work, but all in silos, right? So it's all about building bridges. You know, I, I, I've had really great experiences working with, you know, Islamist organizations like Abim, like Ikram, you know, some people think that they are all the same. They're like past and whatever, but but they're not. Nah. You know, these, they're, each one has its own kind of flavor, own kind of approach. And a lot of them are very open, very engaging, you know. And again, it's about bridging that gap, nah. being able to like understand how those groups think, you know, how, how someone can vote against Dool Isa, right? It, it, it's, you, have to, you have to really build those kind of bonds. And it's built over, I like to say, a lot of cups of Milo. Lah. You have to sit down there, mm. talk, do, do projects together. Lah. It's so, like making friends in school again, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, like, it's just... like, you know, when you go to Royong, when you play sports together, that's when you really get to understand. It has to be human to human relationships. All the rest is just rhetoric, you know, fancy words, Kluaga, Malaysia, one Malaysia, blah, blah, blah. It comes down to human. And you can, you, you don't need government to build human to human relationships. Yeah, so that's, that's our work. That's what we do. All right, very quickly, Nat, in the one minute that we have, how mm. would you respond to those who are doubly disillusioned by the outcome of the Sheraton move and now GE15? You know, what's your best argument to keep faith in the democratic process? Honestly, like, you know, I, I, I don't believe that we should, quote unquote, keep faith in the democratic process. I think, you know, um, on Saturday, I voted like five minute walk from here, right? And as my friend Ali described, this is a pesta democracy. We're all excited, you know, we, you know, we go, go there, right? We exercise, all right? And then it's like the next morning, it's like a hangover from the party, right? And it turns out all these things, who becomes PM and all, it's totally out of our hands. Democracy is not making one panka in three years, in five years, that, that's, that's almost meaningless, right? But democracy should be participatory. So I think, I think we should, we should um, try to change our democracy, build a kind of like grassroots or on our own, do it yourself democracy, right? But I think we should definitely keep faith in Malaysians, right? I've met so many great Malaysians here, so many people here with so much potential who really want to do good with the country, you know? And I think that we can definitely keep faith in, that we can definitely, you know, come together, build on to, to build a much better Malaysia. Nat, thanks very much for speaking with me today. You're very welcome. Take care. I've been speaking to Nathaniel Tan, Strategic Communications Consultant and the Coordinator of Project Bangsa Malaysia. This has been Pressing Matters. We're heading into the 10am News Bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise after that. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.